Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. Now, I am not reintroducing the idea of purgatory. But on the other hand, I do believe the baby was thrown out with the bathwater. With that came a belief. When you die, you're instantaneously and magically made perfect. The soul of someone who dies immediately goes into eternity. There is no place where you make up for your sins. There is no purgatory. In the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Frio. Welcome in. It is Wednesday, arguably a lot of people's favorite day of the week. Personally, I prefer Sunday, but you know, that's because I'm so much more super spiritual than everybody else. Okay, okay, I'm joking, I'm joking. But seriously, this is Witness Wednesday. I'm Jimmy Hicks in the studio. Todd, of course, has made his way out today to Kennesaw State University looking to share Christ with unsuspecting students. So let's not waste a whole lot of time talking about my super spirituality. No, I'm just joking. Let's get out to the campus now. This is Wretched Radio. This is Stephen. <laughs> don't don't get it wrong. It's with a PH, not with a V. It's like you've got an attitude that if a guy spells it with a V, yeah. it's not as good as your name. There's a right way to spell Stephen, and there's a wrong way. Okay. I will not confirm or deny, but I am not wrong. <laughs> that is all I will say. Is I am not wrong. All right. So here, here's I would I want to ask you about something that is on your person at the moment. Can you guess what it is? My earrings. Yes, sir. It's a cross. Yes, sir. Why? Uh, I'm a Christian, and I always thought, like, just, like, having a cross on you is good just because sometimes you need a reminder. Is there any significance or symbolism to that piece of jewelry? Um, yes, it was my first set. So, actually, the night before I got my ears pierced, something... Uh, really bad happened. So then the next day I got my ears pierced. And then when it was finally the time to take them out, he gave me this set. And Brandon was also one of the first friends that I made here. He's my random roommate, random assignment. And uh, at first I thought we were not going to get along. We were so different. And then we ended up being really cool friends. Like he's one of my best friends ever. So I always wear these just because it's my first set and somebody special gave it to me. I'm talking about the religious significance. Oh, what do, okay. what does that cross represent? It represents that I'm always forgiven. And so no matter what I do, I know that there's someone that will forgive me and I'm supposed to do the same. Or like I said, the night before I got my ears pierced, something bad happened. And so when he gave me the cross earrings, I thought he just had them because they were crosses. But then I realized like it was a whole, there's a meaning behind it. Just like the cross represents salvation for some people it represents love for other people and then so i guess for me it kind of changes every day but right now it means forgiveness so Stephen, if i sat down in this bench and said i saw your earring i'm guessing you're a christian would you please persuade me to become a christian what would you say to me and i'm giving you full permission to say whatever why should i become a christian like you mm, that is a very good question you should come, you should become a Christian like me because God has helped me in ways that are actually under, like not understandable. So have you ever, or can I ask you a question? Even though this is your, his interview, I'm so sorry. But have you ever been in a situation where you felt like it was impossible, like impossible to get out of, and then somehow you got out of? And so... I'll never forget. I'll expose myself for social media for the sake of the Lord. Thank you for getting me through this. But in 10th grade, I went to a, a high school where 
if your grades drop below a certain point, you got the boot. And I was good at everything else, but me and math are just not the best. And so I had a a 69.9 going into the final exam. And the night before, I had worked all day and I got home and I was like, yeah, I should study, but not. And so I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew going into the exam, I was like, I'm just probably going to fail. And then I went to the exam and I took it upon myself rather than praying. I knew my mom told me to pray. She was like, Stephen, just pray about it. It'll be okay. But at the time I was like, pray. I don't know any information. Like that's not going to help. So I took it upon myself and I went to the exam and I cheated, but I got caught cheating. Yeah. It was humiliating. It was in front of the whole class. And I was like, well, I'm out of the school for sure. Goodbye, everyone. But for some reason, I still like had some hope. So I went back to my teacher. I prayed, asked for forgiveness, and I prayed for the teacher as well. I gave it some time and I went back to the teacher and I explained what was going on. And she kept my phone, but I still passed the final. Or I made just the right grade pull it to pull it right there. I ended up with a 70.00. So, it was- right, so I'm going to distill that. Right. Because remember, I'm asking you to persuade me to become a Christian. So as I'm processing your story, you cheated on yourself with your cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Dude, you had to know you were going to get caught for that. I did. I, I had a feeling, but I had no other. I had there was in that time of my life. It was so I was so ready for school and everything to be over. I was just ready for everything to be over. And so I. I felt so helpless. And the last thing I needed was an algebra exam. And so I felt like with everything going on, especially with God, I was just kind of like the way things are happening back to back, you're not here or you're just like putting me through some type of thing. So you don't have me. I'm going to get me. And then when I tried to get myself, I got God. So I'm trying to convince you with a personal story, I guess you could say. This is what I heard that if I become a Christian, God's going to occasionally kind of pull me out of the frying pan. That's what I'm getting from you, that God will do stuff for me. I want you to get from my story, because from, like I said, in hindsight, or in hindsight, it's a different from, you get a different perspective in hindsight than you do in person or in the presence. And so in the presence, it seemed like, yeah, like he's just kind of blowing me off right now just to, just for whatever reason. But in hindsight, I learned, that was like my 10th grade year, from 10th grade to 11th, grade year I learned so much about myself and I grew so much as a person and it's the corniest phrase and I hear Christians say it all the time but it makes sense when you are actually in the moment and that is the teacher is always silent during the test so ironic that I cheated on the test but the teacher is always silent in the test so that means you could be asking God to do this for you and do that for you but there's a reason why he's not and it's because you're either not ready for that yet or he has a different plan for you and so going through all the stuff I did and feeling helpless like I did, I grew emotionally way stronger. Like there's stuff that's going on now that if it were to happen back then, there's no way I would have been able to handle that. And I'm glad that I'm kind of glad that I was dissed by God because, well, I really wasn't dissed, but you know what I mean? Because I've grown a lot. You got your attention. Yes. All right. I'm going to turn the tables. Okay. All right. I'm a Christian. You're not. Okay. And I'm going to try to convert you. You ready? Okay. You're a Christian. And you're not. I'm not a Christian. Okay. Now you're real sad. Okay. Hopeless and lost. <laughs> All right. 
So I would sit down and say, Stephen, would you consider yourself to be a good person? I consider myself someone who tries to be a good person. I think, yeah, I try to be a good person. And that's a difficult question because a lot of times people think you're a good person based off of what you do. And to an extent that makes sense, but I like to think that you're a good person because of what you believe and like what you do for others. Because you could do a lot for yourself. I can do a lot for myself and still not be a good person. Or I can do what I think is good, be a good person to me, but not necessarily someone. So I try to be a good person in the sense that I try to look for, for other people instead of myself more to say. So if God put you on a scale, weighing your good and bad, would the good tip the scale or would the bad tip the scale? I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the good is going to tip the scale because there's not one sin that's greater than any other. And one of my daily affirmations before I go to bed and in the morning is like, God, forgive me for all the sins that I've committed, just knowingly and unknowingly. And then I pray and ask for him to help me figure out how to do better. And so with that forgiveness, dying on the cross, full circle moment, but dying on the cross, all your sins are forgiven. So the bad, I guess you could say, is erased. It's not in his book anymore. Well, now that's totally different than what you told me before. You shared an anecdote and now you're telling me I need to have my sins forgiven. That's a totally different message. Kind of in the same. I, I did sin, I did cheat, and then I asked for forgiveness. And so now... In his eyes, I'm all good, but I stay with the experience. I still keep. I, I want to ask you specific questions. Yes, sir. Why are you all good? I'm not necessarily okay. I'm not. I, I, what I'm what I'm saying is you're you're good in God's eyes. You're yes. good to go with Him. I get the I get the lingo. Why? Because, in a simple answer, He loves me. Fair enough. There's no mistake that I can make that is too big for Him to not think I'm good. I think I've got off your question. No, you're doing fine. Now, let me ask you where I don't even know what role we're playing, but you're back to being the Christian and I'm not. Okay. So if I said to you, all right, I want forgiveness. I, I need forgiveness. How do I get it? How do I become a Christian, Stephen? You become a Christian just by giving your life to God. So when you become a Christian, you're basically saying to the Lord that I believe that your son died on the cross for our sins and that one day he's going to come back. And so you you just have a conversation with God, which is all prayer is. So it doesn't have to be something formal where you're on your knees, like in the bedroom. You can just sit and talk to the Lord and just be like, I believe that your son died for my sins. I'm forgiven. If I believe that, you'll come back and I'll spend eternity with you. And then you just ask him to forgive you for all the things. All right. So I'm going to break in here. I know, I know you think that's my favorite thing to do. Actually, it is. I love interrupting Todd, but Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back as quick as possible. Stay tuned. Todd and Stevens Chat continues next on Wretched Radio. How's inflation been treating you if costs for health insurance are skyrocketing in your home? Would you please visit MediShare.com slash Wretched. Affordable, biblical, health sharing Christians, paying for other Christians' medical bills, which means you don't have to worry where the money is going for mm, bad stuff. Second of all, you can save on average $500 per month. And finally, MediShare, 
It's the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years. It works, and the members, including myself and Mrs. Friel, love it, which is why their customer satisfaction rate is double traditional health insurance. If inflation has got you down, call up the people at MediShare, 844-34-BIBLE or MediShare.com slash wretched. Hey, thank you so much for listening to Wretched Radio today. Now, I know if you're like the majority of people who listen to Wretched, you find yourself sometimes wondering, why do I listen to this? No, you find yourself sometimes wondering, what is going on at Wretched? If you're not already signed up for the free Wretched newsletter, that's your answer. Just go to wretched.org slash newsletter and sign up and you'll get monthly emails letting you know exactly what's going on at the ministry. From release dates to new resources, teaching on tough theology, topics, you're instantly eligible for free resource giveaways, and even Tons haircut and gym schedule. No, that's not true. But you will find out absolutely everything you need to know about Wretched. Just sign up at wretched.org slash newsletter. And while you're there, if you're not already a Wretched Gospel partner, head over to the donate page. That's wretched.org slash donate. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Cool, very cool. The Tomorrow Clubs now have 106 clubs in Romania. This year marks the celebration of the 25th anniversary of our ministry. But also, it is a very important milestone for Tomorrow Clubs Romania. Now, Tomorrow Clubs Romania has 106 clubs. That means 106 villages are hearing the gospel proclaimed to the kids who get saved. They bring the gospel home, parents get saved, and local churches get strengthened. Would you please consider supporting the Tomorrow Clubs? Not only do they have hundreds of clubs in Romania, Ukraine, Russia, Albania, all over Eastern Europe, and now in Africa, would you please consider what might you do to bring the gospel to both Africa and to Eastern Europe, tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Your response to the all-new Transformed podcast with Dr. Greg Gifford has been phenomenal. As a matter of fact, your response has exceeded any expectations that we had. You can listen for new episodes, which debut every Saturday morning with Dr. Gifford tackling issues that we all encounter, but he only uses the Bible as the sap. At transform.org slash podcast, that's transform.org slash podcast, or anywhere podcasts are heard. Important dates in Christian history. 1273. Thomas Aquinas completes work on Summa Theologica, the theological masterpiece of the Middle Ages. Aquinas synthesized faith and reason, incorporating Aristotelian philosophy into his work and provided a theological framework for Catholic doctrine. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And we are back to Witness Wednesday here on Wretched Radio. Todd and Stephen have continued chatting on the campus of Kennesaw State University. And before we get back real quick, let me catch us up to where we were before we stepped away. Stephen is a believer who has been attempting to convert Todd. So let's see how that is going. I think a lot of people nowadays that we forget 
life does not have to, or right before you showed up, I was just thinking life does not have to be good all the time. Like we do not, we spend a lot of time in our life avoiding the bad things. Like I'm not going to do this because this is going to happen. And so I feel like when what you're saying, like I'm depending on God to sometimes show up for me there, he's showing up in a way he's not physically there, I guess you could say, but he's showing up without showing up. Just kind of like when when you have a kid or that's crying and the parent is not doing anything like because of it's something that the kid just has to cry about, like uh, you put the kid in bed or you or kid cries in the bathtub. The kid obviously does not want to take a bath, but the parent is not taking the kid out of the bath either because you need it. And so. I feel like what your statement is when I was going through something, I was the kid in the bathtub and I was really crying, like, please get me out of this bathtub. But I was knowing things or the Lord was knowing things that I didn't know. And so he knew I needed to be in that bathtub so I can get clean. I just didn't know that. And so then that's why I say in hindsight, it's a lot better. And so I, I can see how it would come off as sometimes he'll show up and sometimes he won't. But in reality, he's always there. You may not just know. I think that's the doctrine of sovereignty. Okay, but I do want to ask you about something that you said, a particular word, affirmations. What do you believe those are? I used to think affirmations were really corny, and I thought they were just kind of like stuff that you tell yourself until you actually believe it. But I think that affirmations are actually a promise to yourself or like a reminder to yourself. Give me an affirmation. What, what would be one that you would say tonight? That... I am loved. I'm somebody who is like a lot of my life or like a lot of all my decisions are centered around love. Like all my thoughts are centered around love. And so sometimes as ironic as it is, it becomes hard for me to believe that. And so an affirmation that I say all the time is you are loved. Like no matter what, you're loved. The word affirmation, though, in a lot of Christian circles um, has additional meaning to it. And you tell me if you adhere to this definition, that if you affirm something, you speak something, that it's going to happen. Yes, sir. Do you believe that's an affirmation? Yes, sir, I do. So also the word says, or one of my affirmations, my family is very religious. So every morning before school, we had a set of Christian affirmations that we said, and that is that is one of them, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, therefore, uh, so on and so forth. But it's a it's a whole list that we made, my mom made. And so so, so no, no, you're yes. you're okay, you're okay. I just want to probe a little bit. So by speaking something, God is obligated to do it? I wouldn't say obligated because God is not serving us, we're serving God, I guess you could say. And so I wouldn't say because I say I will have a million dollars every day does not mean that God has to do that. I guess you can say, but yes. Would that be an affirmation though? Uh, It could be an affirmation, but I think that with affirmations, they have to be a little bit more on a real scale. You getting a million dollars, like, when you boil it down, do you actually want a million dollars or do you just want more money? So I think when you do your affirmations, you have to be, you have to like use your mind, I guess you could say, or have a scope. Do you believe that God wants us to be rich financially? All right. So it's funny that you say that because yesterday I went to, went to a class. And so we talked about how people that are in a worse financial situation than others 
their mental health is like actually really bad and like it gets worse every day just because the way our world is built, everything is surrounded by money. And so I think that the Lord wants us to have money, but I don't, I feel like he does not want us or want that to be our main focus. Like everything we do when you think about it is centered around either love or money in some way it boils down to that. And so So I'm going to go, yes, he does want us to have money. But then at the same time, he knows that some people, you know, like if you had a lot of money, what would you, what would you do with it? I feel like some people are like that. I know I would like to be rich, but if I had the amount of money that I want now, probably would not be good for me. Could be be a problem. It could be a huge problem. I want to close with this. I don't know if you've noticed, there is a little difference between the two of us. Yes, sir. What is it? I am black. And he is white. I was going to say, you're younger, I'm older, but whatever. (laughs) Okay, so I'm black, you're white. From a Christian standpoint, why are we black and white? Why Why are we different skin colors? Why are we different ethnicities? What's God's plan in that? God's plan, I'm going to, I'm trying not to be corny, but I think to show us the important lesson of unity and diversity because with everything going on in the world it's just there's no unity in our diversity like because we live in different areas all of a sudden we have to beef or because we look different or because like for example going back to the problem with racism because i'm this color and you are this color i'm more superior than you type thing and so i feel like that was the opposite we're not getting the lesson but I feel like the main purpose of that is to show us unification and diversity. I'm going to share with you what I think is the grand purpose in God having different skin colors. Would you agree that you and I fundamentally are the same? Yes, fundamentally. The only difference between you and me, I mean, obviously we've got different characteristics, height, all of those things that make people different. But at a fundamental level, the only thing different between you and me is you got more melanin than I do. That's it. Yeah, fundamentally, that's pretty much it. You're a human, I'm a human. So we're both the human. There's only one race, the human race. There's a bunch of different ethnic groups. And I think when we look at the history of ethnicity, we don't ever see a time when we were all living in perfect harmony with one another. No matter how hard we try, we cannot get the job done. And we've been trying really hard in this country since... Let's just, whatever year you want to pick, the 60s, we've been trying hard, and it's not happening. And I think there's a reason for that. You read the book of Revelation, there's a scene described at the end of the age when God wraps up this world, creates a new heaven and a new earth. A scene is described where there's a sea of people at the throne of God to worship him. Every tribe, every language, every nation, every people. In other words, diversity. And the message that it sends is we human beings, we couldn't bring about ethnic harmony, but Jesus does. No man could pull that off, but Jesus did. So ethnic groups are actually meant to ultimately glorify the one who is going to be able to bring us together. Because when we become Christians, I'm not a white Christian. You're not a black Christian. We're Christians. You happen to be black. I happen to be white. 
But that's that's not my identity. My identity is in Christ. That means everybody whose identity in Christ is a brother or sister, and I don't care what skin color they are. I don't care how much money they have. All I know is we're in Christ together, the only one who can unify us. That's why I think there's different ethnic groups. I believe that. I strongly believe that. And I'm like nodding my head. You just were just spinning out. That was really good. In the first century, in the, there's a book, Galatians, in the Bible. It talks about a mystery. Paul talks about that a lot. He talks about it in Ephesians. There's a mystery. The reason he talked about the mystery is in the city of Ephesus, for instance, there are a lot of mystery religions. Come in and we'll tell you the secrets. Paul said, there is a mystery, but I'm going to tell you what it is because you actually have to know the mystery before you can be a part of the group. And the mystery was interesting. It was talking about Jews and Gentiles because if you think, like ethnic tension between black and white is bad. It ain't nothing compared to what Jew Gentile was. They hated each other real bad. The Jews, the Gentiles thought they were arrogant. They think they're God's chosen people. The Jews hated the Gentiles because they subjugated them. They had them in slavery and they just hated each other. And Paul says in Christ, there is neither slave nor free Jew Gentile male, female. It's not that we lose those characteristics, but in Christ, we are one. If we would like to see racial harmony, if everybody on this campus were in Christ, we'd be getting along a lot better. I, I totally agree. Thank you, Stephen. Stephen. <laughs> Why don't you say it that way? I would never, I would never, I would never. Hey, well, I hope studies go well. Thank you. Now, that was an interesting chat. It was. It was a conversation that took a couple of turns that I didn't expect. Nonetheless, is Stephen a believer? Has he been born again? I, I can't confidently say that, but I also can't confidently say that he hasn't been. So let's do the one thing we can do, and that is pray for Stephen. All right. And also hang tight because we have more Witness Wednesday coming up next on Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. A high school student in Canada says he is not backing down despite being arrested, held in a police car for hours, handcuffed and charged for trespassing, and then dumped on the side of the road, all for preaching the gospel in protest of a drag queen event geared toward children last week in Ottawa. Ottawa police arrested four people protesting the Drag Queen Storytime event on February 8th, and one of those people arrested was the Canadian high school junior, who coincidentally had co-organized the protest. So, you know how we talked about how we would not be able to see the true effects of the lockdowns for a couple of years? Yeah, those, those days are here now. Some of the latest numbers from a recent report show in 30 schools in Illinois, zero Zero students are proficient in reading. In 53 schools in Illinois, zero students are proficient in math. And according to the numbers, taxpayers spend approximately $20,000 per student to fund those schools. Well, it wasn't too long ago that Louisiana passed a law that required government-issued ID for anyone who wished to access pornography online in the state. So apparently the law has worked so well that other states are looking at passing similar laws. Arkansas, Florida, Kansas, Mississippi, South Dakota, Virginia, and West Virginia. 
And as you might could imagine, despite the ease of complying with the laws, the porn industry is fighting tooth and nail to stop their passing. Of course they are. Recently, a Rhode Island elementary school sent a note to first graders advising them not to bring Valentine's Day cards depicting only white people. And your first inclination might be to think, ah, somebody's over-exaggerating. Let me read to you the exact note that was sent home to families because it's been posted online. Dear first grade families, we're sending a quick note home to inform you that scholars may bring in Pride Plus One Love Day cards on February 14th. If your child would like to bring cards for classmates, this is entirely optional. Please bring a card for every other child in their class. No candy. So far, so good, except for the Pride Plus One Love Day cards. Anyway, so please remember that Valentine's Day is a celebration about love and should be inclusive of all types of families, including LGBTQA. Also consider talking to your child about avoiding cards that portray only white human characters. Representation matters, and our students of color also deserve to see themselves in some of the cards they receive unless we can find cards without people pictured at all. Isn't this a fun world we're living in? More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible The book of Joel describes a series of disasters that serve as God's judgment and a warning that an even more severe day of judgment is coming. When you see the power and fury of creation, do not fear nature, but fear him who controls nature. But if God's people will turn to him in repentance, he will be compassionate and rescue them. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And welcome back. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks in the studio on this Witness Wednesday. Todd and team have been out at Kennesaw State University today, so now let's return to the campus. Brett, you are Persian, correct? That's correct, yeah. But you grew up in? Uh, Lawrenceville, Georgia. Very Persian in Lawrenceville. <laughs> no, not particularly. <laughs> or am I, always, I always confuse the two. Persia is Iran, yes? Yeah. Are there, st- are there still Persian? Is there like a group of people that are, are known as Persians or are they just Iranians? Is, this, is that a subculture? Because I can't oh, keep it straight. I'm not really sure. Um, I think that's just what they're kind of called. Did you grow up in a religious home? No. Nothing? Yeah, nothing. You're in the Bible Belt, man. I don't know. Coming to campus here, has anybody tried to persuade you otherwise? Uh, no, it's just more been like just vaguely talking in uncertain terms, kind of. Do you believe in anything now? Are you agnostic, atheist? Have you made up your own thing? Do you follow a particular system? Oh, no, I just don't follow anything, really. I I try to make my own moral judgments. I, w- I would be willing to see what the Bible says, maybe, and, you know, pick and choose, but I'm not going to describe myself as um, religious or Christian or anything like that. So these morals that you're that you're putting together, how do you determine which morals are moral? Oh, just uh, um, if it like if it harms anyone, um, if it, you know, encourages good behavior, um, kind of stuff like that. If it encourages good behavior, what is good behavior? Um, good behavior. Just kind of just, I'm not really sure, really. 
Let me try an experiment on you. See what you think of this. See if you track with me. I'm going to try something that's called, philosophers would call the transcendental argument for God, TAG for short. It's by looking at morals and intuiting your way to God. See if you track with this, all right? You and I would agree that certain things are objectively wrong, wouldn't we? Yeah. Like what? Murder. Okay, let's stick, we'll stick with murder. I can't come up here with an axe and cut your head off. That would be objectively wrong. Could we move to Persia, to China, to the island of Boingo Boingo, where cutting off your head indiscriminately on a park bench, would it ever be correct in any of those places? Uh, I don't think so, no. It's just we, we look at reality and we realize that is always wrong. Brett, I would suggest to you that is proof God exists. Because if there is not a moral lawgiver, an objective standard of right and wrong, you and I would never have a concept of good or bad, evil or delightful. We would simply see everything as a preference. You might not prefer I cut your head off, but that's all you could do. You could never say, hey, that's wrong. Stop it. But you do say that's wrong. Stop it because you know it's wrong. And the only way you know it's wrong is because a moral authority has dictated the terms of morality. Therefore, Brett, if you believe that cutting off your head is objectively wrong in all times, all places, you have just reasoned your way back to God. Do you track with that argument? I understand what you're saying. I don't know if I necessarily agree with it. I don't think universal morals is proof of God. I think um, proof of God is proof of God in that uh, you need to, you know, prove that some all-seeing force controls everything, kind of, and I don't know if that's really necessarily been proven. I think I actually could address that, but let's just stick with the transcendental argument for just a moment, all right? Where does that argument fall short? Where's the hole in that logic? Which logic? We believe that there are objective moral absolutes. The only way we can make that moral absolute claim is if there is an absolute moral lawgiver Otherwise, you and I would only see things as preferences, but never as right and wrong. But we do see right and wrong. Therefore, there is a moral lawgiver. What's where's the hole? I don't know. I think I think uh, humans as as a species can kind of come to that conclusion. I don't think um, necessarily that means that uh, like the collective conscious unconscious is of humans is God. Um, didn't say that though. I know. I kind of, that's kind of what it sounds like. Um, I am saying though, we do have a conscience, not consciousness, but we do have a conscience and it's universal. And I think that again points to, there is somebody who has dictated the terms of right and wrong. And that's why we all agree all over the globe. You can't cut somebody's head off. Mm. I I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know if I, by that completely. I, I still think that um, humans as a species can sort of make their own moral judgments. And just because it's, it's uh, universal doesn't mean that there's a higher power. Let me just make it more personal then. Tell me a scenario where cutting off your head would be good. Uh, if I were attacking you. Okay. I'm talking indiscriminate, unprovoked. I lop off your noggin. I don't think I could ever come up with one. Why not? Because humans have come to that conclusion. So then your response is society determines what is right and wrong. Um, I, I guess um, that doesn't, that does, society can make certain bad moral uh, judgments too. 
Correct. Yeah. So Nazi Germany, their society agreed it's okay to exterminate Jewish people, gay people, black people. Were they wrong? I think, yeah, they were wrong. Can't say that, though, unless there's an objective lawgiver. You can say Nazi Germany was not your preference, but you cannot say it was was wrong because you have no authority by which to make that claim. That's the tele- the transcendental argument. Okay. All right, let me try another one for you. All right, I'm going to give you a different argument to reason you to God. All right, see if you see if you go for this. All right, this bench that you're sitting on, it happened all by itself millions of years ago. A bunch of stuff got together, formed itself into this shape. Kind of fits us. A little awkward, kind of uncomfortable, but nevertheless, it's clearly designed for sit- sitting. But it happened all by itself. Do you believe me? No. Then you've just reasoned your way back to God again. Well, I mean, humans, you know, fashioned the wood and assembled the uh, metal. See, that's the argument. We know we didn't see anybody make it, but we know somebody made it because it's made the universe. We observe it. We must conclude there's a universe maker. This bench doesn't happen by itself. A universe doesn't happen by itself. God exists. Well, do you think that the universe maker is uh, has a physical form? Do you think it's just sort of just ephemeral kind of just random? That's, that's a great question. But I haven't gotten that far yet, Brent. I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm just working you toward theism right now that there is a God. So would those two arguments perhaps persuade you God exists? No. Um, what would it take? OK, right now, God is mindful of Brett. And Brett wants to know who this God is. So tell God what he must do, what she must do, what it must do to reveal himself to you. What would satisfy your bar of judgment? Uh, I don't know. Like, you know, um, just, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I say I observe something that um, completely um, doesn't fall within normal. Uh, expectations like I don't know this the sky or the or the floor or the ground kind of bends in re- weird ways. A miracle is what you're asking for. Sure. Right. So if I told you God has already done miracles, would you accept that? Could you give me an example of these miracles? Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Well, just because it's written a book doesn't mean it happened. Different conversation, and I grant you that. But God. How's about the miracle that God created a universe? Wouldn't that be enough? Well, I mean, none of us here have seen it being been created. We know that it exists, but we don't know who created it or what created it. No, I, I grant you that, but we do know somebody created it. Somebody. I mean, who know? I mean, who says it's somebody? It could couldn't have been just random atoms smashing together, like this bench. Well, that wasn't random. That there was a, a purpose to these atoms. Exactly. There's a purpose to the universe. The sun rises, the sun sets, the seeds, they grow up in the ground to make the trees provide food to feed you. You've got a purpose. You're designed. You're intricately put together. You're not atoms that smash together. There's no way that could happen any more than this bench could smash itself together. Well, I don't think I could prove my position completely, and I don't think you could either. I'm going to try another angle with you. And thanks for your patience. All right. I'm going to stop being in the realm of your intellect. I'm just going to avoid your thinker right now. I want to go to a different area of your brain. It's called the conscience, the courtroom of your brain, that little judgment seat that says that's wrong, that's right. And I want to go attack it for a moment and let's see if it fires some sparks. Okay. All right. Brett, would you consider yourself to be a good person? 
I would hope I would. I'm going to put you on trial for a moment. Have you ever told a lie? Yeah. How many? Ooh. I don't know. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really keep track of them. Okay, a lot of them? I don't know, maybe. All right. But it only takes one lie and you're a liar, right? Yeah. One murder, you're a murderer. Yeah. Speaking of which, have you ever murdered anybody? No. Ever been really angry at somebody unjustly? Yeah. Have you ever uh, looked at anybody on this campus, a woman on this campus with sexual desire? Yeah. Ever taken God's name in vain? Yes. Okay, hold on, hold on just a second. Dot and Brett are having an interesting conversation. I don't like stepping away, but we do have to take this break real quick. I promise you're not going to miss anything. They'll continue chatting. We'll take this break. We'll be back momentarily. More Witness Wednesday next from Kennesaw State University on Wretched Radio. Just because Roe v. Wade is overturned, that does not mean the battle for life is over. Would you please consider supporting Preborn Ministries, providing ultrasounds that genuinely save lives? That ultrasound changed everything for me. It really did. That made it all worthwhile to know that I was going to have a little blessing. And when she got here, it was just, oh my gosh. <laughs> Another woman who chooses life because she saw an ultrasound. Her life, and obviously her baby's life, changed. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. The war for life continues to rage. Would you please engage in the battle and support preborn centers at preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. There's a reason we talk so much about biblical counseling around here. It's because it works. Transformed, our biblical counseling series, hosted by Dr. Greg Gifford and Dale Johnson, has returned for season number two. As a matter of fact, you can find it available now at transformed.org. Transform season two demonstrates powerfully that the Bible has solutions for our emotional problems. Doctors Johnson and Gifford don't merely teach biblical counseling, they show biblical counseling in action. In season two, you'll meet Christians that are struggling with the same things you likely are. Assurance, PTSD, anger issues, depression, discontentment, anxiety, self-pity, and much more. And you'll see with your own eyes that the Bible is sufficient for all of life, godliness, and our emotional challenges. Transformed Season 2. Available now at transformed.org. That's transformed.org. For your consideration, not one but two ways that you could strengthen the local global church, the Masters Academy International, training men in Los Angeles who then return to their home countries and open up mini seminaries to train pastors in their native land. That strengthens the local church. But there's another way you can do just that. We are partnering with the Masters Academy International to send Bibles to the Philippines, not just any Bible, MacArthur Study Bibles, to believers in TMAI-trained churches. These efforts strengthen the local church. Would you please consider how many Bibles you might send, how many seminaries you might support overseas. To learn more, visit wretched.org slash pastor, or if you like the Bible sending idea, wretched.org slash Bible. 
hermeneutics. A vital part of biblical hermeneutics is an understanding of genre. One genre we find in scripture is poetry. Poetry relies on imaginative and figurative language to expand on a theme, examine emotions, and reflect on who God is and what He has done. God's timeless truth is written down by biographers and artists alike. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And back we are. This is a Witness Wednesday here on Wretched Radio. Todd and Brett have continued chatting. Like I said, they've been chatting about morals and the existence of God. And we're going to rejoin that chat right now on the campus of Kennesaw State University. This is Witness Wednesday. Five moral issues that you have violated. God, the just judge of all the world, decides Today is Brett's last day on this planet. He snuffs out your life. You stand before him and his seat of judgment. The books are opened. He knows everything you've ever said, ever done, ever thought, every deed done in darkness, everything that you should have done but didn't do. He knows it all. No fancy lawyer going to talk your way out of it. Would God see you as an innocent person, a morally pure person, or would he see you as a guilty criminal. Well, I mean, it probably a criminal, but that relies on first a God existing. It relies on uh, there being an afterlife of some sort. Um, and neither of those have really been proven. But I'm trying to peck at your conscience for a moment. Just work with my scenario. All right. God knows it all. The omniscient being who is morally pure sees it all. He's about to slam the gavel on Brett. Would he say innocent or guilty? Probably guilty. Definitely guilty. Mm. Would God, who is just and righteous, invite you into heaven or would he send you to hell? Probably hell. Not probably. Definitely. Okay. Do you understand what hell is according to the Bible? Not really. I've never read it. The term typically is eternal. goes on for forever. Conscious. You don't fall asleep. You don't get to take naps. You're always aware. Torment. It's punishment. It's, it's a penal system where you are punished for your law breaking, where there is weeping, there is gnashing of teeth because of the intensity of the punishment. A place called hell, that's where God sends guilty criminals like you, like me. So you and I, if this God exists, we're in big trouble. Would you agree? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Based on my scenario, right? I'm trying to go for your conscience, Brad, because the issue of God and the knowledge issue about God, it's really not your issue. We've got all the proof we need that God exists. That tree alone in your eyes that observe those tree branches, they tell us God exists. These things don't happen by themselves. Something that's intelligently designed requires an intelligent designer. So it's not knowledge you're lacking. The issue for you and me is will. You and I like to be our own gods. We like to decide how we want to live. We like to assemble our own morals, which is what you said earlier, because we like to live the way that we want. And if we acknowledge God exists, and if we listen to our conscience, we realize that's going to curb our fun. It's going to curb the way that we want to live, and it's going to hold me accountable. And if God judges me, my conscience tells me I'm in big trouble. And that's what the Bible teaches. You and I are in big trouble, and our conscience affirms that. All right, you said something that I applaud earlier. You said, I'd be willing to learn what the Bible says. Permit me the privilege of telling you what it says. God is rich in mercy. God desires to save sinners. God is 
love, but he's also holy and he's righteous and he's just. So we've got some tension in front of us, Brett. You're a guilty criminal. I'm a guilty criminal. God should crush us for our crimes against him, willingly, knowingly committing acts of treason against our sovereign. But he desires to forgive us. But you feel the tension, right? Because if a judge just goes, well, you're forgiven, go ahead, go away, guilty criminal. He's not just. And God is just. So God, in order to be just and the justifier of those that he wants to forgive, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, took on human form, just like you and me, never broke the laws, never dishonored his parents, never looked at a woman with lust, was always kind, always did the right thing, never coveted, never took the Lord's name in vain, did everything right. More than that, he allowed the human beings that he had created to crucify him. And if, I don't know if you've ever heard about that. This is what happened to Jesus Christ. Imagine this. God in flesh stands before human beings who are sinners, accusing him of sinning. They strip him naked in front of soldiers, the military, mock him, beat him up. The Bible says he was so beaten you couldn't even tell he was a human being. They crushed him in the face with their blows. They put a crown of thorns on his head and smashed it down, which hurts a lot. They whipped him with something called a cat of nine tails. It's not just like, you know, you just see the Wild Wild West shows and it's like, whoosh, whip. These are leather straps with pottery and nails woven throughout them. That's what you got whipped with. He got whipped with that. And then they hung him on a cross, which means they put nails through his wrists and through his feet. Probably not... If you've ever seen those pictures of Christ being crucified, it usually shows it like one foot on top of the other. But at crucifixion sites, the nails that they've been finding are long enough to go through two feet into the wood. So they think that they probably put the nails through the Achilles and he hung on a cross. And you die from suffocation that way because you can't breathe. All of your weight is pulling down and you can't breathe. And you ultimately suffocate to death. He did that as a volunteer because he was taking the punishment that you deserve. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Take the punishment that you and I deserve so justice can be satisfied. You can be forgiven. You can be brought into a right relationship with God because of Jesus Christ, so that for all of eternity, God can be praised for being the magnificently merciful, kind, and loving God that he is. God demonstrated his love for you by dying for you, a sinner. That's called the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you, Brett, a guilty criminal, can be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Because not only can your sins be forgiven, remember how I said Jesus did everything right? He accrued, he accumulated for himself righteousness, and he gives all of that to you. So he doesn't just pay your debt. He puts all of his righteousness onto your account. So you aren't just seen as a forgiven criminal. You're seen as the citizen of the millennium. That's what Jesus Christ died for you. That's what the Bible teaches. And it teaches one last thing, and you're being super patient with me. The Bible teaches today is the day of salvation. God commands you this moment, repent, turn from your ways, turn from your way of living, turn from your lifestyle of sinning and put your trust in his beloved son commands you this day to do that. And he promises he will forgive you and grant you everlasting life because he's merciful and he's good. 
That's what the Bible teaches. So now you know the message of the Bible. So here's the biggie for you, Brett. Is it true? The messages? Is what I just said to you true? Now, I know what you're inclined to say at the moment. So I don't want to let you answer that. Instead, could I just encourage you to just ponder what I've shared with you? There is the transcendental argument. There's, there's the cosmological argument. There's the teleological argument. I've gone to your conscience. And I've tried to probe it and prick at it to share with you the good news that God will save you. This truth is revealed in a book that is reliable. It's been poked at a billion ways and it's demonstrated it's true and you can trust it and you can stake your eternity on it. So before you just quickly go, I don't think it is. Could I just encourage you to think about this today? Is that, all, is that fair? Sure. You're a smart guy. All right. Getting an education is a good thing. But Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? You're more than just your body. Okay, You're not a brain. You're a body and a soul. And God wants to save your soul. He wants to save you. So get an education, get a job, and that's cool. Get a wife and kids. Nice. But if you die and lose your soul, it all means nothing. God offers you everlasting life in his son. Then all this other stuff takes care of itself. You still get an education. You still get married. You still have kids. But most important, you're in a right relationship with your maker. So sitting on a bench with you, total stranger. Right now, salvation is staring you in the face. I'm going to walk away. Would you please think about it as, as I go? Okay, sure. Do you have anything you want to say to me besides go away? <laughs> no, I think you're uh, maybe a good good speaker for what you believe in. And I think that's great. I think uh, everyone needs a certain direction in life. I think what I just heard you say is it works for me. So good for me, but it doesn't apply to you. Yeah. But here's, here's what I would challenge you with. Okay. So just think really carefully about this, Brett. If what I said is true, it's not just true for me. It is either true or it's false. If Jesus Christ is indeed the true and living God, he says, that he's the only way to get to the Father. It's through him. He says that he's going to return to judge the world in righteousness. Brett, that means you are going to get judged. These people are going to get judged. Whether I believe it or not is irrelevant. If it's true, you're involved in the scenario. Okay, This is not a personalized presentation I'm giving to you. I'm making an objective claim. So don't just kind of tuck it away under... The guy was a little long-winded, pretty pleasant, but good for him. Uh-uh. That's not how the world functions. What I just presented to you, it's either false and you've got no worries. But if it's true, you've got big worries. It does involve you. So you need to think this through more carefully than just, I'm glad it works for you, sir. Okay. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. Thanks for putting up with me. Thank you. Right. Well, thinking it through is something I think we all hope Brett does indeed do. And as I do seem to encourage you with everyone Todd happens to speak with, let's all be praying for Brent. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.